Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. Rabbi Nachman said that most people tell stories to put people to sleep, but he tells stories to wake people up. A story can feel like an escape, but when a story is told right, and when a story is listened to with the right attitude, it can provide us with the opposite of escape. It can provide us with a pathway toward engaging, confronting, and even evolving. So I invite you into this story, not, God forbid, with any intention to distract or simply to entertain. At this moment, when the most essential questions of life and death, connection and legacy are being experienced in the most literal and direct way by the Jewish people. I provide this story as a way in, as a way to engage with the deepest questions that human beings have to ask. And with God's help, it will be done in a way that brings us open to the challenges that we are facing as individuals and as a nation. This story is the 13th story in the collection called Sipurei Ma'asiot Mishanim Kadmoniot, Tales from Archetypal Times, Tales from Ancient Times. And this 13th story is often referred to as The Seven Beggars. And Rabbi Nachman, who told this story, gave the very short introduction, as it is usually printed, I will tell you how they were happy. But the oral tradition around this introduction is that it actually said, I will tell you about how they were happy from within a state of melancholy, from within a state of depression. So we are told that this will be a story of joy and a story that promises the possibility of movement away or through depression and melancholy into joy. And so the story begins with a party, but it is no ordinary party. One time there was a king. And he had one single son. The king wished to give over the kingdom or the kingship to his son while he was still alive, while the father was still alive. As tempting as it is for a person to imagine that they will live forever, there's 
something very mature about a person who recognizes that they will not. This is something that in many stories, a person realizes in the 11th hour when their mortality is all too real and death is pressing and they are spurred to action to take steps in order to ensure that they have the opportunity to convey whatever it is they have to convey and to put in place whatever it is that they hope to put into place in order to perpetuate their vision of the world. In the Torah, for example, Yaakov and Moshe both bless the 12 sons and the 12 tribes in their last hours. But the king in this story does so while he is still alive. He does what he can to ensure that this lineage will be perpetuated into the next generation. And so, he made a great party. Shakurin ball. He had a ball. Ubavadai Bechopam Shamelchose Bal, who Simcha Gedola Maod, and certainly any time the king makes a party, it is a great joy. Bifrat Ata, and specifically now and here, Shemasar Hamulucha Lebano Bechayav, when he gave over his kingship to his son in his lifetime. Bivadai Haya Simcha. It was certainly a great simcha, a great joy. And all of the ministers were there. All of the dukes and the officers. And they were quite happy at the mishta, at the party. Okay, so we get it. It's an amazing party. But the question begs, why make a big party for this? Why make a great simcha for the occasion of giving over the kingship to his son? It seems like something austere to acknowledge the king's mortality and to give it over to his son seems like something of a somber rite. It might best be done alone, just the two of them. And yet, the king sees fit to make a great party. To answer that question, I ask your permission to step in to the present moment. It is October 14th, 2023, yesterday, Friday, the 13th, a video went out made by an American soldier in the Israeli army named Arki, and his message that went out through various channels to many different communities was, listen, I'm in the army. We're at war. We're not going to be able to do Kabbalat Shabbat 
tonight the way we want to. Please, you guys, especially Jews in America, get together tonight and daven together and sing hard and bring the joy and dance. I I had the honor of leading davening at the local synagogue last night in hopes to fulfill the wishes of Arki and to bring this community together to dance and to sing and to bring in Shabbat like that. But it was very difficult. It was very heavy. Many, many people were in a state of avilut, a state of mourning. And understandably so, I don't need to tell you what's been in the news. I don't need to tell you what's happening in the land of Israel. And yet, Arki was asking people not to center that attitude and that feeling of avilut, but rather to bring joy, rather to bring in Shabbat with joy. Because yes, we are mourning, but we have work to do. And in order to do that work, in order to move forward, we're going to need great thunderous joy. So while some of the gatherings that took place in this past week had a mood only of mourning, some of them found ways to sing and to dance and to bring joy. And an onlooker might see that and think it's strange what are you guys doing? Why are you dancing? How can you dance? How can you sing? That onlooker does not understand the secret of Jewish joy. Jewish joy is our greatest defiance. Our absolute patent refusal to give that up. Even when we're facing mourning, that is the secret of our continuity. And so, yes, we are mourning, but we are not only mourning. And when we mourn, mourning is not the only thing that is happening to us. Mourning takes its place within a greater context, and that greater context is joy. So, yes, this is a somber moment for the king in this story. This is full of risk as we will see. And yet, the king knows that joy is the only way for this to work. And this joy isn't just the joy of celebration. It's the joy of encouragement. It's the joy that I saw in these incredible videos of Israelis sending their sons and daughters off to war 
with a parade amidst their fear and their worry. It's a parade. It's a celebration. It's a joy. And this king knows that. He knows that encouragement is what's needed in order for his son to take his place. And so he creates this beautiful party. And the dukes and the officers are enjoying themselves. And also the country itself, the people enjoyed this. They benefited from this. That he was giving over his kingship to his son while he was alive. You can imagine the anxiety of a society or of a country that has a leader who they love and they're anxious that when that leader passes on, there will be a vacuum and who knows what could happen. So they approve as well. Not just for themselves, but they're appreciative of the fact that it's a great honor for the king to have someone to give the kingship to. There was great joy. We've been told this so many times. There was great joy there. And there were all kinds of joy there. Kapalish, which is something like choirs, a cappella, the comedish, and also comedy, plays, shows, the kayote misev, a komine simcha, and the like, and all manner of joy. Hakohaya, hayusham, ala simcha. Everyone was there for the joy. Our friend Arki knows this. He knows that we need this joy and that it is essential. He's not unaware of the reality of war. But he is aware of how joy, real joy, holds us and holds us together. <laughs>